Grace to you and peace from God our Father who loves us so much and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Many people today are interested in their genealogies and so we have all of these DNA testing companies popping up able to tell you where your ancestors came from. The pandemic has apparently only served to stimulate this interest in genealogy. April and May saw a 78% increase in the use of the word ancestry on Facebook and Twitter, those great barometers of contemporary American culture, and a 38% increase in subscribers to Ancestry.com. Genealogies are also extremely important in the Bible. Genealogies, family, family trees. In fact, the Bible can be viewed as a big book of genealogy interspersed occasionally with accounts of some of the key people in those genealogies, people like Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Sarah, Jacob, Rachel and Leah, David, Moses, Mary, and of course, the Lord Jesus himself. As we read through this big book of genealogy, a couple of things stand out. The first is the stark reality of original sin passed on always from generation to generation. We see sin particularly within the families, right there in the family tree. The book of Genesis could very well be called the book of dysfunctional families. There is not just one prodigal son in the Bible. There are dozens, hundreds of prodigal sons and prodigal fathers and mothers and daughters. And so it is also today. Sin is everywhere, of course, but sin has a way of playing itself out first of all, within the family. Families can provide us with so much love and blessing as God intended, but at the same time, family can also be a source of deep disappointment, anguish, and pain, and heartache. Because sin is always there, insidiously there. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have turned everyone to his own way, which is not exactly a good recipe for family life. We see sin in all of the genealogies of the Bible, and we also see the result of sin. You can look at Genesis chapter 5, for example, great genealogy chapter. Methuselah. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. And he died. 969 years 
And then just when the guy thinks he might be the one to live forever, he died. And so it is also today. Every generation ends with an obituary. Sin and death. Sin and death. It gets a little tedious after a while. You see sin and death in all the genealogies of Scripture. But also, most profoundly, we see God's grace. Despite all of the sin and evil and corruption, despite all of the jealousy and envy, despite all of the greed and hatred and idolatry and violence, generation after generation, God's steadfast love endures forever, and he keeps his promises. In particular, he keeps the genealogy of the Savior moving forward toward that time when the offspring will come, the seed in whom all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Tonight, during this Advent season, we are taking a look at this genealogy of Jesus, this Jesse tree, and tonight we go way back even further than Jesse, back to the very roots of this family tree, as noted in the very first verse of our New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, old father Abraham. As we do this, as we go back to the very root of this family tree, we actually find that Jesus is already there, right there at the root. I would urge you tonight to watch for Jesus. Listen for Jesus in the quiet of this hour. Listen especially for the haunting refrain in our text, Father and Son, only son, father and son, the son whom you love. Jesus, the preeminent son, is already there, hidden away deep in the DNA of the Old Testament. Genesis 22. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a bird offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. <laughs> one of the first people I met when I began my ministry at St. Paul's Evansville, long, long time ago, was Art Brockman. Art Brockman was already an old man when I first met him, and he continued to be an old man for a long time because he lived to be 101. Um, it was Art Brockman who bought me my first brain sandwich. Before I went to Evansville, I didn't even know people ate brains. But they do quite a bit down there. And I actually found it to be a pretty good sandwich. Also a very efficient sandwich. You get all your fat, all your cholesterol for the entire month. You don't have to worry about it all after that. 
fall completely taken care of. Art was a remarkable man. He, uh, he was a World War I veteran, mail carrier, played on the church softball team until he was 65 and, sa and sang in the church choir until he was 95. Uh, our church was founded in 1887, and Art remembered all of the pastors of our congregation. He could tell me stories about all of the pastors, and he sang in the choir when our new church was dedicated, our new church, which was dedicated in 1907. <laughs> and then he also sang at the dedication of our new gymnasium, which was dedicated in 1987. So he had a pretty good run, a lot of singing through the ears. Art and his sweet wife, Esther, had many blessed years of life together, and they were very grateful. They were people of strong faith. They were always in church. But there was also this deep sadness in their life because they had only one child a son who died at a relatively young age. And Art and Esther knew he was with Jesus. And they believed in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And yet there was always this undercurrent of sadness there um, because uh, he was their son, their only son. And they missed him so much. God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Terrifying text, really, isn't it? Horrifying. What kind of book is this? <laughs> what kind of God is this? We let this be told in our Sunday school? Kill your son? Offer your son as a burnt offering? This son promised by God for whom Abraham and Sarah had waited so long, this son born to Abraham and Sarah in their old age, this son through whom all of the families of the earth were supposed to be blessed? Martin Luther talked about this in his lectures on Genesis, talked about this verse. He said, God, who formerly seemed to be Abraham's best friend, now appears to become an enemy and a tyrant. But the text goes quietly on. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son, Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the land of which God had told him. And we read that when they came into the region of Moriah, Abraham actually left the servants behind and he took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, 
together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And what about Isaac? What's he thinking? Lying there on the top of the wood, on the altar of sacrifice, looking up at his father, holding the knife. What about Isaac? What about Jesus? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Last month, uh, Barb and I had the opportunity to escape from our little COVID cocoon and uh, go over to Iowa for a visit with our son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren. And uh, while we were there, it so happened that uh, Jacob, their oldest son, their first grader, had a memory work assignment at school, uh, the Apostles' Creed, which is not that hard, but and I know he knows it because they've said it and heard it over and over again a hundred times, but as he was trying to recite it with us, he was kind of stumbling over a few words, particularly at the beginning of the second article. I think maybe he was nervous about us or, or reciting it in front of his teacher in the class. I'm not sure. But anyway, I tried to help him with it, and we just did what you have to do to memorize something. We just went over it, over it, and, you know, each, path, each part, one at a time. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And, we, you know, we did that for a while. I guess we did a good job, because the next day, Jake told me that he got a sticker for his memory work. And he said, 
Not everybody in the class got a sticker. Even some of the girls did not get a sticker. But he got a sticker, which is pretty important when you are in first grade. But the really great thing was that that night, as we were doing baths, his little brother Eli is in the bathtub, big smile on his face, splashing around, splashing water out of the tub, as he can do when Opa is supervising. Uh, and uh, he, is, he is saying the creed over and over again. And he is saying it, of course, just as he has just heard it from us. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in Jesus Christ, his only... Well, I actually think he was teasing me just a bit there, but that's okay. I kind of liked it. In fact, I really loved it. Uh, the creed in the bathtub. The creed in the bathtub. Maybe that's what we need during this holy season of Advent in these gray and latter days as we take some time to be quiet and pray and reflect and repent. Maybe we need to be saying the creed over and over again to ourselves and to one another, especially focusing on these words, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. So that these precious words may be seared into our hearts and minds, so that as we prepare for the celebration of our Lord's birth once again, we may somehow realize something of the, the magnitude and the mystery of God's gift on that most holy night when Mary wrapped her baby in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger while all the stars were shining and all the angels sang for joy. And so that we may realize something of the mystery and the magnitude of what God was doing on that other day when no angels sang and no stars were shining and darkness covered the whole land and there was no ram in the thicket, no substitute for Jesus because he was the ram. He was the substitute. He was there offering the one perfect atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. He was and still is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God spared not his own son, but offered him up for us all. Jesus died for all of the genealogies <laughs> for all of the generations and generations of sinners who had ever lived or would ever live. Jesus died 
for all of the prodigal sons and all of the prodigal fathers and mothers and daughters and husbands and wives and sisters and brothers. He died for us so that tonight we are forgiven. And uh, in holy baptism, we have been adopted, grafted into God's family tree so that now we can always go to God and know him not as some angry tyrant, but as our Father. The Apostle writes, see what love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.